This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 85. And the quote of the day is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, Every artist was first an amateur. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with session number 85 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And want to send a quick thank you to our sponsor, Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks. Check them out at bosodrumsticks.com. That's B-O-S-O drumsticks.com. And save 15% on your order by just using the promo code podcast when you check out. So if you're looking to save some dough on that, just head over to bosodrumsticks.com and, like I said, use the promo code PODCAST to save yourself 15%. Also, I'm doing free webinars every Tuesday to teach you how to market yourself online like a professional to help you get more followers, more exposure, and more gigs. This is a live training session that I'm doing every single Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to check that out and learn more about it and register It's drummersresource.com forward slash register, and you can learn all the information about it and sign up for it. And like I said, they're 100% free, and I'm doing them every Tuesday at 7 p.m. So if you're interested, check out drummersresource.com forward slash register. The guest I have today I'm really excited about is Jason Sutter. And for those of you who don't know Jason, uh, he's played with everyone from from uh, Marilyn Manson to Chris Cornell, played with a ton, a ton of different people. He's also really, really well-versed in rudimentary work and, and in marching band and all of that other stuff, which makes him really interesting because he's so diverse and he does so many different things and he does them really, really well. He plays jazz, he plays brushes really well. I mean, he's like, he's all over the map but, and he's good at all of this stuff. So it's really, really great to have him on the show. And have him go into how he approaches using all of the rudimental stuff that he learned, you know, in marching and and drum corps and applying that to the drum set and still making it feel good without having it feel stiff. But we're going to get into this interview. And without further ado, Mr. Jason Sutter. Jason, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, Nick. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing well. And I got to tell you, that's like the same thing that I say to every single guest. I just realized that, that I'm always like, Hey, man, thanks so much for doing this. But I really do appreciate every guest that I have on here. And you and I have been kind of like going through the ringer to uh, to get this thing to happen. I know you were on the road for a while, and I know that you're extremely busy. So I really, really do uh, appreciate you being on the show. Well, thanks, man. I mean, I actually love trying doing these things. Like I said earlier, I've done a few, and I always – when it first started, I thought, you know, what is this weird thing called a podcast? And obviously, uh, I'm a, a huge fan of podcasts and I love, you know, the, the, it's such a great resource for, for pros and beginners and dudes who live in like Des Moines, you know, to right. hear what it's like in LA or New York or Nashville or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with Des Moines, but, um, you know, I, mean, I think it's a great source for people to actually really kind of, uh, um, you know, get some really great rare insights so that you don't get in print. So sure. it's, it's cool. Sure. It's cool to be able to do it. You know, that's why I really wanted to start this thing because in an article you can't hear somebody's inflections and you can't hear you know you could be reading it and you could be like oh man this guy sounds really cool and then you meet him and you're like oh this guy's a dick 
you know, yeah. and you you'll kind of notice that if you're if you're listening and you know on a podcast, and you'd be surprised how many people are from overseas and all these other different countries that are listening to it too. So it's not just the United States, which is great too. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. I always feel like the ones I've done, I always feel like I sound like a moron. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've done a ton of these, and I feel like I still sound like a moron. So don't worry yeah. about. It. I'm listening it's to them like, who is that guy? Yeah, that's how I feel. So. so I always like to ask the guests how they got into drumming, and there's a ton of information on your website and out there, um, you know, in the in the interwebs about you. So I don't want I, I don't want need to hear the whole story. So I, I'm not going to bore you with all of those details. So, but just let us know how you got started and how you got the drumming bug. You know, I think I grew up in kind of in the woods in northern New York in a town called Potsdam, and I'm not really sure. Probably from listening to like Kiss records and and uh, you know just I kind of got into rock and roll. I'm not really sure exactly, but. My father is a sculptor, and his father was the chief of police of Milwaukee, and he always wanted to be a drummer, but his de- there was no way that was going to happen. So when I stressed interest to my father when I was about to go into, you know, when you got a chance to choose what instrument you played in, like, third grade, he really went gung-ho and, and went, you know, went big and brought, bought me everything there was to buy and was super encouraging. I mean, my mother was as well, but my father, I think, a little more so. And, um, and he ended up hooking me up with this amazing drum teacher named Jim Peterzak, who, um, you know, it turned out to be, you know, there's a music school in the town called Crane School of Music, and Peter Zach turned out to be one of the biggest teachers, taught Weckl when he was a little boy, and Vinny when he was re, you know, reevaluating his technique in the, in the 90s. So um, kind of a cool thing to just kind of, he was a friend of my dad's at the university, my dad was teaching at as well, and so it, you know, before I knew it, I was getting lessons with this amazing teacher who really, um, you know, really instilled a lot of great values. So I, I got pretty good pretty quick because of that. And uh, and so I think that's really what like got me really into it. And then, you know, other records like Bunny, you know, Cheat Trick, you know, Bunny Carlos was a real early influence on me. And so hearing that and obviously the Kiss thing I mentioned, you know, that kind of got me going. And luckily the town I lived in was a college town. There were a bunch of colleges. So there was a, a concentration of a lot of cover bands. This was in the early 80s or late 70s, early 80s when when that when, when those band cover bands were king, so I got to be exposed at a young age to like watching a lot of rock bands and in this college atmosphere, whether it was street fairs or beer blasts or college parties or whatever that I, my parents would be at, I got to see that, and so I kind of was able to go like, I want to do that. And I, I don't think a lot of kids get to be exposed to that much rock and roll that early, so I was really lucky to have that kind of a clear vision of okay, I can if these guys are doing it, that's that's what I want to do. So. Hmm. So, and you're also, you're a strong rudimental player, which we're going to talk about that a, a little bit later in the show, but were you always, were you always concentrated on the rudiments or was that something that came along later? Well, that's, that's, that's another thing that Peter Zach, I had a great instructor named um, Scott Levine, another in, in high school in or middle school and in grade school, I had an instructor named Andy Van Dyne. Both those guys had, had gone to Crane, so they had gone, studied under Peter Zach or, or, you know, um, so there was a community of really great, well-knowledgeable drummers. So, the, the, you know, from Peter Zach to Van Dyne to Levine, I was being, inst- that, 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 those basic roots were being reinforced at every angle. There was no getting away from it. So, so everyone had great hands, because Peter Zach had great hands and that trickled down. So, um, so I was very lucky to literally, there was no question, my tutelage in the very beginning was exactly, you know, it was cutting edge. I was very lucky. It wasn't like I got to college and went like, huh, I wonder if that's, you know, my interpretation. I, I had a lot to learn by the time I got to college, you know, when I got to North Texas, I got my ass kicked. But 
but I was very lucky to have those basics instilled. So yeah, the rudiments were always something I knew all the rudiments at all times, ever since I was a little. And so I always had that, you know, I always had that and I concentrated on that. But, you know, just as good as my hands were, my hands were very good at a young age. I can say that now, um, you know, when I went to music camp. It was like I could play paradiddles pretty fast compared to like the old guys. But um, when I got to college, it was a whole new reevaluation. But yes, I was very into rudiments and it was instilled in me, you know, at a very young age. So how do you feel about the people, you know, because I think that most of the people out there now that are that are coming up aren't really learning the rudiments and they're not going, they're not, they're not going through like the proper channels that, that we went through, you know, to, to learn all of this stuff growing up. It's like, I remember just getting a pad and it's like, you play that for a year. Yeah. And I did. And then I got a snare drum for a year. And it was (laughs) like, if you're, if you, if you stick with that, you know, um, that will, then we'll get you a drum set. And and that kind of is how it worked. But you know, it's funny. I listen to some pro drummers podcasts or I listen to some pro drummers, like little web things where they have little videos and I don't watch a lot of that. I should watch more. That's a resolution, but I see some of these people are working a lot. It's funny when they start describing rudiments because it's totally not right. And I don't mean to be like, you know, holier than thou, like I know my rudiments because it can, you know, you don't really need to study all that. I mean, some of my favorite drummers couldn't tell you what a, you know, LaVon Helm would know what a paradiddle is, you know, he, I don't think, but, um, but, you know, so I don't care about any of that stuff. I really think if you can play, you don't need to practice rudiments. Sometimes I think, you know, guys who kind of learn from the sideways instead of coming down the center of learning this methodical rudimental style, sometimes have a cooler, uh, thing happening. That said, you know, cats like Art Blakey, Elvin Jones, Tony Williams, all those dudes came from like a rudimental background, you know what right, I mean? Right, right. And and yet they were still able to lose that and keep the grease in their playing and those are so you know, so you know, you can't you know, is I don't I can't think of a ton of places examples where rudimental study screwed dudes up, you know, unless it's drum corps and it's all they do is drum corps and then they try to play drum set when they're like 20 and they've never done that. That's a different thing. And, but um I think a lot of drummers could use to, you know, and I talk about that in clinics is, you know, there is a whole world out there, not just the 40 rudiments, but, you know, compound and hybrid rudiments uh, that I got exposed to in drum corps, which I never knew anything about in high school. You know, that was a big eye-opening experience where you can combine these groups of two or three or four rudiments that create these whole other vocabulary and whole other language. And I think a lot of drummers could use, you know, I get a lot of students who come in pros and, 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 and they come in and they hit a wall and I think there's a whole world out there, you know, that you can you can take these rudiments and they can obviously we know you can apply them to drum set and, and that's the whole point. But there is a whole other world of influence that I think it's amazing how many how few great drummers really know, have gone past those 40 rudiments. And I think there's it'd be interesting to hear what they would do if they if they if they were exposed to those, you know. Right. Well, you know, I think a lot of the misconception is that these people say, well, I don't, I'm not going to play, you know, playing a paradiddle like square on the kit. And because when you first start learning your rudiments, they're like, you know, they're, they're not musical at all. Sure. You know, they just, they just sound like these, these taps. And especially like you had mentioned guys that get into to drum core and, and then they play that way and then they try to play drum set, but you've managed to, to do both. You've learned all of that stuff and, and then brought it to the kit and then make it sound good and fluid and greasy like you said so so how did you how did you kind of make that transition well you know when i got to college uh you know i literally thought wow man there's a whole other world if i look around the corner with these compound rudiments and all this kind of you know more uh you know kind of uh 
insight into this whole other language, you know, of these compound rudiments. So I looked around the corner and thought, wow, there's a whole other world here that I can, you know, be exposed to and, and learn from. So that was kind of uh, kind of fun and, and, and a whole other world. So that's a whole other thing, you know. I, right. I and, and then how do you apply it to drum set? Well, you know, I got to college and I was suddenly involved in drum corps and drum line and all this kind of, you know, very strict, very, you know, um, seven or eight snare drummers playing in, in unison and, and mm -hmm. listening and playing clear. And that was a whole new thing for me. So I had to literally discipline myself into learning this whole new language and this whole other world of rudiments, these hybrid compound rudiments. So that was uh, basically, you know, you hear guys like Tony Williams and who really like Nefertiti in the first few bars of that record, or he starts to explore these kind of rudiments split between cymbals and drums. And, and to me, that's where I think a lot of the grease and a lot of this, uh, again, like a whole other language and phrasing can come out of that, where you apply these rudiments, you split them between drums, um, there are rudimental ways like playing tenors um, in, in drumline, which is a, a grouping of four or five drums. I don't want to get too heavy on it, but where you play uh, laterally or horizontally, where you're literally playing, you know, two notes, uh, a double stroke roll split between two drums, sped up, you can come up with some pretty interesting stuff. From studying with Jeff Hamilton and brushes, everything that we do is all horizontal. So I've changed how I think about playing jazz entirely i almost approach you know like like as he does playing jazz with like uh with sticks almost like you would with brushes so right. it's all sideways that creates a whole other when you start thinking like that and you start applying rudiments like that you're going to create an entirely different uh language and a fluidity and that's kind of trying to apply that tenor thing is kind of what i'm practicing right now mm -hmm. trying to think more horizontally so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's one way I think of, of how you do it. I also think you know, in drum solos, when I'm trying to do a solo, say with Cornell, or if I was doing something, say with uh, even with Smash Mouth or something, you know, I try to keep dumb it down to a level because when you're playing a solo in front of, in some cases, you know, twenty thousand people or more, in you know, some festival in South America, you know, all those little notes could get lost. And so right. it's a matter of trying to apply that, but still being able to kind of keep some of that happening. And um, I think at the end of the day, you know, it really is all about making music and phrasing. And I think the more you have, you know, basically a rudiment is like a word or a sentence and uh, having, the, you know, a, a good understanding and, and a wealth of, of these different com com combinations of rudiments, it's like you have, you can, you can speak more fluidly and you have an endless amount to say if if you practice it you know right. what i mean so that's kind of how i look at it and, and try to think in phrases and use the rudiments in that way that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely you can you can lose people pretty quickly if you start getting into it because i'm into it and i've been into it for a long time and now as i've been doing clinics and lectures and stuff how do you explain that how do you cross that line between the drum core and the drum set without losing guys because the minute i start getting into the explanation you just see this glaze go over dudes faces right. and, and so it's it's a tricky thing but i'm trying to get better at it and it's something that i would like to do because uh, as i say in clinics the line between uh drum line and drum set is rarely this this, this is rarely crossed, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and it amazes me, you know, that guys who are great drum players in their 60s had never heard of a flam five or a, 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 a flam diddle or right. something that to me is the building block of hybrid rudiments and, and yet they're great players and I just think, God, if they had this little cell of information, they could apply it to so many right, things. So, right, right. And then obviously the opposite of a drum corps guy who, you know, has never tried to apply this stuff to drum set because they've never put in the time. And So I just think there is a gray area and I would love to kind of be a dude who kind of 
did drum corps um, and, and came out the other side and did a lot of rock and roll drums. And how can you apply those things? And I think there's a lot of applications, you know, right. and I'm trying and I, to do that. And I think that you're doing a good job at it. And the thing that the thing that I love about you, man, you're you're very unsuspecting because you know, like you just posted that something on Facebook the other day that the guy. I'm was sneaky, like, dude. I am so sneaky, dude. You just <laughs> never know, man, what kind of shit I'm gonna pull on you now. That's funny. I feel like I'm you're just gonna like walk in here, for, right? I'm gonna yep, like, here I, am. I thought I'm you were here. in LA, <laughs> dude. This is your door right here. I'm gonna come in. But, but like, you know, like you posted on Facebook the other day that somebody was saying that he wasn't going to come to your clinic at PASIC and then came in and was like, man, I had no idea that you were going to break out, you know, this brushwork and, and, and all of this, uh, this core stuff and, and all that. And, you know, to, to, to master all of these things like you've done one is, and is, is an amazing feat. So, so congratulations and kudos to you on that. Thank um, you. Yeah, man. But how do you suggest that other people do that? Because well, it's hard I, I, for people to be not to cut you off, but it's hard for people to be great at one thing. And, and you've got well, a lot of these things happening. That's one of the things I started focusing on in clinics. You know, I've been doing clinics and lectures and stuff for a little while. And I just did PASIC, which was a real big highlight. It was awesome. Actually, my teacher, Peter Zach, was, uh, you know, the uh, the MC. You know, he announced me. That was kind of a cool thing to have him preside over it kind of full circle. But um you know, I, I feel like I, I'm trying to encourage people, you know, like whether you're in college or not, if you're in music school, absorb all these things, because that's just what I'm into when I'm doing, you know, uh, the drum line. Um, but, you know, I studied marimba. I played in, in a Javanese gamelan. I studied African drumming. I played steel pans in a full working band. I, I mean, I could go on and on of all the minutia of percussion at North Texas. You know, you, you know, I got my ass kicked, but we were all kind of taught that there's a whole other world out there other than drum set, you know, and then you can, you know, and I think part of that goal was you could bring all that stuff back. But to me, the most important thing is the more you learn, whether it be learning bass, learning piano, learning marimba, each one of these mediums that I'm learning, and that's what I talk about in the clinic, is you're learning to learn, and you're learning how to take something and say you you know how to play drum set, you know how you learn how to play drum set, apply that to another medium, like say rudimental snare drumming, and take that to another level. Do the same with marimba piano. All those things that you're doing, I think apply directly to me getting a gig. If I get on a gig, I can learn the material quicker, I can learn styles quicker. Say when I go to Manson, I have to suddenly become almost like a character actor. I have to wear this entirely different mask. And I have to do it convincingly, and I have to forget about any of the other preconceived notions or any of the other mediums I've studied. Um, and that to me is exciting because it's fun to be able to live in those different worlds and, and to be able to play straight ahead jazz and then go play double bass and be able to do it with a certain amount of conviction and a certain amount of prowess where no one's turning around going, he doesn't know what he's doing, where you're fooling, where you're fooling them. Right. But really it's, it's a matter of being a quick study because you've learned to learn and that's a whole other concept but but so that's that's how i feel it applies and this is just you know i'd like to do a clinic in three years from now that has nothing with a whole new snare solo or maybe on tenors and apply that to jazz drumming you know what i mean show how all these worlds kind of tie together in percussion alone and as percussionists we're enabled we're able to play all these different instruments it's, it's it falls all into that category and i think you can apply that to the real world getting a gig because you can become a quick study you learn how to learn. If I have to, you know, so you become quick at, you know, like I've talked about before learning double bass. And when I kind of got into that when I was with Chris Cornell and then how I shed that for a few years. And the next thing you know, I'm playing with Marilyn Manson and I'm able to apply it. You know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's like by getting out of your comfort zone, 
you force yourself to grow, and I think that's a whole other concept and I talk about in clinics, and that was one of those examples. I learned double bass because it, it was adapting to a gig I was playing with Chris Cornell, and then I shed it because I wanted to make it mine, and then, you know, I basically, it improved my versatility to the point where I could pl I could pull it off with Manson convincingly in a, in a quick amount of time. Right. So when I got that music, I was already in production. I was able to assimilate it and learn it quickly because I was used to learning quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. Other mediums. That you know, that, that reminds me of I interviewed Ndugu Chancellor and he said that, you know, now it seems like people will try to compartmentalize everything. So it's I'm a jazz guy or I'm a rock guy or, or I'm a, you know, I'm a funk guy and or I'm a rudimentary guy or I'm a this guy or, you know, I don't play brushes because I'm a rock guy or whatever the case may be. And his whole theory was you have to cross pollinate all of that stuff because they're they're all one and the same. So, I, you know, that, it just brought me back to that interview when you were talking about that, because it really, really resonated with me then. And it resonates with me now that I totally agree that, you know, to be able to take all of these things and put them together and, and use them as one cohesive, uh, you know, arsenal, so to speak, in, in your in your playing is amazing. And I think you're doing a hell of a job at it, man. I think it's important, but I think also, you know, almost like a character actor, say if someone works on their British accent, but then the next thing is a Southern role where they play some hick who's a, uh, an idiot in the South in the, you know, in the 40s. The point is, is you, you take that role, you, 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 you've learned all these mediums and it helps you be convincing in that role. However, you know, you have to completely forget about everything, you know, and that's another thing. You have to learn all this. And then when you get in there, you really you keep your eye on the prize of where you are, what your role is at that time, and and that's the fun part about it because it is like a character actor. I am assuming these different roles, and it's it's really fun to try to be to be true to that art form, you know, and to be true to it. And 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 so it, I'm taking all this stuff, I'm learning it all, and then I'm forgetting it all, I'm throwing it all away. Right. And I had to do a certain amount of de-learning when I first got into rock and roll, right when I got my first gig, because I was coming out of this music school, I was coming out of graduate school, where I was playing timpani in the orchestra and the wind ensemble when I was playing, you know, I was a drumline instructor at the University of Miami, and I'm playing marimba, you know, uh, concertos or, you know, Keiko Abe pieces or Musser Etudes. And then all of a sudden, I'm in a rock gig and I have to forget all of that stuff and I have to kind of round the edges off of my playing, you know, and, and, or, or, or vice versa, put some, you know, some teeth into my playing because I was busy playing kind of clean or playing in the big band at Miami, all that stuff. I had to lose a lot of that. And so that was an early lesson of how you have to be careful about being able to really assume the role. And so it's fun for me to get a, a, a call to do something, you know entirely different. And that's why I'm practicing jazz all the time. I have a, a little Gretsch set in my spare bedroom here and, and I practice early in the morning or late at night um, and I try to play as absolutely quiet as I can and that's all a reaction to having spent say two years of just loud, triggered, heavy Manson or whatever I was doing to kind of find that other part and keep all those kind of balanced. Right, right, right. Hmm, that's interesting because I mean you're in LA too so you kind of got to be you kind of got to be quiet. At, you know, at, I kind of don't. I live in the valley. I'm pretty. Oh, like, nice. I have a pretty big yard. Uh, most LA pads are not, but I'm in the valley, and so I basically have a pretty good amount of space. But the point is, is I want to keep it quiet. Sure. I want to stay in that in that framework and try to, you know, keep that discipline up as well. You mm -hmm. know, and touching on that on that discipline, that learning process. So do you basically just rinse and repeat whenever you're trying to, to learn something different? Like if you, you know, if you just got done learning a style or, or some hybrid rudiment or something like that, and then you say, okay, well now I need to, 
you know, apply it to this? Do you just learn, do you learn the same way? Uh, interesting. I'm not really sure if it's that, if it's that compartmentalized, like, you know, I don't think it's like that. I'll sit and I'll get with some rudimental cat and I'll learn like a whole new hybrid rudiment and then I'll shed it. Will I apply it? It may not come out for a little while. You know, I'm not that systematic. Yeah. I don't think I'm that organized, you know, uh, sometimes I'll just get in there and play. And then, and then as I start making these wonderful mistakes, I eventually start to harness those. And then I realize, oh, that's coming from another thing I was doing, say, with brushes or with a rudiment that I was kicking my ass or something. And then it comes out in whether via rock gig or a jazz thing or, you know, whatever. I think they kind of start to rear their heads naturally. But I, don't, I try not to, I try not to, I mean, as much as I'm sounding very, or, you know, organized and constructed, I'm a pretty loose player. I like to keep things edgy. And I think that's my advantage as a, a, a higher gun. Mm -hmm. I think I, 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 I default on feel. And when I ask, you know, most of the auditions and artists why I got the gig, it always comes down to feel. So I, I do have a certain amount of like regimented study that I have done, but I always try to keep things, once I, like I said, once I learn it and I get it down, I like to kind of forget it all and keep it edgy, keep it loose, play from the heart. Right. You start with the head, you learn everything in your head, and then it goes away and, and it kind of, you try to have it, have it manifest more in your heart and your soul, and then it comes out and there'll be a certain grease and, and uh, I think, um, uh, you know, the word I'm, I'm looking for, maybe, um, you know, it, it's, it's truthful rather than something that's contrived. You know, sure. it's more, it's genuine, you know. That's so what, what advice for, do you have for people that are practicing something and then they go out on the gig and they're like, let me try to pull that thing out that I'm working on? Yeah, see, I don't think you can try to pull it out. I think, right, you, should I agree. Yeah, I think you really do need to study and study and study. And I think it's like saying studying with Jeff Hamilton. You know, when I get with him, I, you know, there's a certain grace to his playing. And there's a grace to Bluey Belson, a grace to Jake Hanna, all these wonderful brush players that they've been. And so that I still am reaching for. And from studying with these great players, slowly but surely, I'll sit down and I'll play and I'll think to myself, yeah, I finally have reached that, that, that glow right. of this magic touch. And that's what I'm trying to kind of, you know, harness, you know, sure. if that makes sense. And, I'm sh and I know that, you know, you're a drummer, so I'm sure that you get tempted to like, oh, let me try that. And then you're like, no, nope. no, yeah. I, can't. I can't do it, you know. Yeah, not really, yeah. So, you know, I think a lot of people... Uh, get into that into that habit of like oh i'll shed something for a little while and then i'll go play the gig and then i'll try to like break it out and like show off my you know my shit yeah and there was a time but i think now sure. it's like i just try to get up there and just kind of clear my mind entirely i'm i'm trying not to think of anything mm -hmm. uh whether i'm playing rock drumming whether i'm playing um you know trying to make something just groove or whether i'm trying to work on some jazz thing or trying to you know last night i went in and i i sat in with a great buddy of mine kevin stevens who i think did a interview for your website i think for a working drummer yeah, yeah we did for the yeah. working drummer series yeah. yeah he's great and uh anyway you know i went and sat in on his gig and he does this kind of rump roller thing which is kind of like a, a jimmy smith kind of organ trio kind of thing but it also has a little jazz and i got up there and did a little jazz thing and, and i haven't done jazz out in a long time and it was kind of my goal you know i i wasn't completely excited with how i play or happy but at the same time i knew that i wasn't thinking and that's the goal i'm going for that to kind of even if i'm just dropping into a setting where i'm sitting in playing straight ahead try not to think and let it just flow and sure. that's that's the name of the game from where i'm coming from right now is trying to just let it flow mm -hmm. makes total sense that's i mean and that's a beautiful place to get to you know it's like that's I, I feel i feel pretty pretty good about it you know i feel like i'm i'm getting close to that place where i can kind of try to just let it flow right you know? right 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 
So now I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, we, you were talking about sitting in, you know, at Kevin's gig in L.A. And so how long have you been in L.A.? Uh, actually, 15 years ago, uh, 15 years, three days ago, 15 years. Yeah, nice. I moved here on January 3rd, 2000. Nice. Yeah. So uh, kind of walk us down that path a little bit about arriving in L.A. Because, you know, a lot of people, a lot of the listeners contact me and say, hey, man, I'm thinking about moving to L.A. I'm thinking about moving to New York. Do you have any advice? Do you have any advice? And so I would love to hear your perspective of it, of like, you know, you hitting the ground in L.A. to the point where now you're, you know, playing with Marilyn Manson and, and Chris Cornell and everyone else. Well, uh, you know, I, I was I think I moved to L.A. knowing that I didn't know anyone here at all. I knew one buddy from high school um, who was living out here and I didn't realize that I had this whole um, support group of 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 uh, alumni from Miami, University of Miami, where I went to grad school or undergrad in North Texas. There were a lot of musicians out here and I never even thought to tap into that. Again, I was coming from Boston for about five years of just, you know, rocking and record deals and a whole different thing. Not, not really, you know, uh, not a bit of a session stuff, but I thought, you know what? I made a record out in LA and I thought I need to move out there because the time I spend out there will be exponential in, in my career rather than where I maybe would stand still if I were in another city. Right. And the thought of New York was not interesting because I grew up there, you know, I've been to the city a lot and the thought of being a drummer and trying to live there was just, it was just not exciting. Um, and Nashville wasn't quite what it was yet. So LA, of course, I wanted to come out here, moved out here. I started teaching at the LA Music Academy as a private instructor, like within weeks. And that was great. A couple near misses for gigs, you know, mm -hmm. like a band like Lifehouse, Michelle Branch, I auditioned for her. I made it all the way up to, I got the gig, it was a Barry Squire thing. Um, ended up getting the gig, but then she couldn't find an auxiliary guy and she ended up hiring, uh, she found an auxiliary guy. He said, Hey, can I use my band? Can we at least play with them? And she tried out the band and said, okay, great. We'll use this band after all these auditions. And then I got a call saying, you know, she was going to use this other dude. So, um, there was a bunch of situations I've kind of talked about and other things, but basically, you know, I, I kind of was teaching at first and then I ended up getting in with a band. I got a record deal. Um, at Maverick. At the same time, I got recommended for a band called the Campfire Girls, who were uh, had a big record deal on Interscope Records with Dave Sardi producing. Who went on to do, you know, Jet and uh, Wolf Mother and Oasis. He's you know became huge right after this record. Um, I basically you know kind of got into that world, and and before I knew it, I was playing in a band, one band that was on Maverick Records and one band that was on Interscope, and so it was like there was kind of a there was still a record deal. There was still record sales in like 2001. So I was kind of, there was, that was kind of happening. And then from there, um, both deals kind of, I went with one, I went with the one that was on Mav, uh, that was on Interscope. And then that kind of started to fade a little bit. And um, I think they may have gotten dropped. I'm not sure. And then my buddies in the band American Hi-Fi, who I was great friends with uh, the whole band. And uh, I basically, they called me and said, we're going out on a tour. Our drummer just got married. He's got a baby. He may not want to, he doesn't want to come. So I jumped out uh, in 2004 with them and kind of split from these other bands that were kind of in limbo, you know, their right, record right. status, you know, that happens a lot. Sure. And so I jumped on board and went out with American Hi-Fi for at least about a solid year and went all over. We toured Japan, which was the first time I'd been to Japan where they were rock stars. We got chased around malls and it was nice. pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah. And uh, then we did uh, U.S. for months and months with this band. And then we did uh, England for a whole month, which was kind of crazy. So that was fun. And, uh, you know, then that kind of, you know, kind of dissipated and it, that band had kind of run its course. 
And from there, I ended up getting called by a buddy to help compose some music for, um, uh, or help arrange music for a musical called Rock of Ages that they were going to work on, which um, is the Rock of Ages that came to be. I helped, uh, you know, I basically helped um, arrange these early, early cover, you know, 80 right. songs that sure. are still on the show. Mm-hmm. Probably a lot of them the same arrangement. And, and they did a little preview, which was about a month of just an hour-long show. Producers bought it or bought in, and then they did a full production for two and a half months in L.A. that I was also the drummer for on the, that maiden voyage, which was a two-piece, you know, basically the, 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 where sure. it stands now, slightly different. But, um, and that went for two months. Then it kind of died on the vine, went to Vegas, kind of sat for a few months, and then it, of course, blew up in New York. And, and, and it just is about to close one of the longest-running shows. It was in London. Um, it's in Canada, it's touring all over the world. It was in Australia. It's kind of amazing. So kind of got to do that. And while I was doing that, I got a call from a buddy recommended me. I auditioned for Smash Mouth, got the gig with Smash Mouth for the year with them. It's Summer Girl. That record, uh, was great. Worked with Eric Valentine. It was incredible to work with him, who was a great producer, drummer, and worked on all the Smash Mouth records as well as Third Eye Blind and a million other bands. Learned a lot working with him. From there, uh, I got literally a year later, I got an audition. I wasn't going to take the gig. Went in as a favorite of uh, Barry Squire and got the gig with Chris Cornell. Hmm. That was incredible. And I took the gig and Smash Mouth were cool about it and ended up staying with him for three solid years, two records. Um, and then from there, I literally uh, finished. I, during that time, I was recording Vertical Horizon, the next record. Right. And Matt, Matt was living out in L.A., uh, Matt Scannell, uh, who is Vertical Horizon. And I ended up recording a full record called Burning the Days. From there, I just I ended up going out with him as soon as Cornell ended. I did the whole fall tour with Vertical Horizon, which was about a month and a half, two months. And I got home, kind of chilled out, and was just kind of waiting to see what happened next. And right around this time at NAMM, I got a call from Foreigner to audition or that they you know wanted to hear me play mm-hmm. auditioned ended up getting the gig and was out on the road with foreigner within by like uh, march and did a year with foreigner and got to do a couple live records one's live at the itunes festival which is pretty great nice. um that was really cool to get to play those hits um there's also a live record in europe from germany i don't know what that is it's a europe label and did that for a year and then Literally, that gig ended. Uh, Mark Schulman came back to that gig. Um, that gig ended after a year. I ended up getting it ended on a Sunday. On Tuesday, I got a call from my buddy Brian Delaney that he wasn't going to be able to do a New York Dolls tour because he was having a baby. I went out with the New York Dolls, who's like one of the coolest bands in the world to me. I'm a huge fan, always have been. I love that band. I love what they stand for, and and it was just the coolest tour I've ever done in my life to get to hang with Johansson and. And uh, Sylvain Sylvain, the guitarist, was real slick from David Bowie, started in Diamond Dogs and all the way up until recently. And the bass player was Kenny Aronson, who played with everyone from Stories to Billy Idol to Bob Dylan. So that was incredible to get to play with those guys. They were all 20 years older than me. So it was like truly like I was school rock school, you know. And um, anyway, shortly after that, I got to do two tours. I I toured with Motley Crue and Poison, opening for them, which was like three months, which is incredible dream come true for me to get to be able to see the you know tour with these bands who are iconic and i grew up with and then we went and toured uh, england that same year with uh, alice cooper so those guys both wrote the book in the early 70s so it was kind of cool to see those bands together and just be around that and then from there um i finished i finished around uh november and then sure enough like literally a day or two after christmas i got called about Man- manson audition for manson 
got the gig, got to play on the record, got to play on the only real drum tracks on the track uh, on Born Villain. Did that for literally almost two years, just under two years. And literally a week after that ended, I got a call from Smash Mouth about a month and a half before saying, hey, you know, you're on the road. When you're done, um, we're going to be in the giant. We're going to we're taking this out in the road. It's our 20 year anniversary. We're going out with Sugar Ray and a bunch of 90s bands. We want you to do this. This tour. Can you do it? I said, yeah, I was done. The manager told me that Manson was going to be done for at least a year. So we literally, I was home for a week. I learned the music. I flew right back out. And I've been with that band again for the last uh, year and a half, almost two years. And that brings us almost up to here. And I've just been, you know, signed on for another year with Smash Mouth for now. And I'm just, you know, been able to kind of work on, there's a live record that I'm going to be a part of, which is kind of fun with those guys. I got to produce a single for that record, which is kind of cool. I've never done that before. And um, and also last year, you know, I kind of got started getting into clinics when I was doing Foreigner. But the last year, I think I did 25 drum clinics, you know, from from Guitar Center Tour to Mom and Pop Shops to PASIC to the Chicago Vintage Drum Show to uh, high schools in Dallas to universities, uh, University of Miami. I did a clinic and and uh, and and, you know, and here I am, you know, what I mean, right, so. Right. Yeah, that kind of brings me back to here. And then there, there are little bands here and there and little projects. I did a band called Run to the Desert with some, some Cornell guys who made a record. And so it's been cool, man. Basically, I became a, a hired gun. I became a session guy after three record deals with different bands. I ended up becoming a hired gun. And all that happened in L.A. And it's, it's, it's really cool to get to, to be able to be a part of the scene. I feel like I'm a part of L.A. finally, you know. So now if you... You said you had just moved there, or you had moved there 15 years ago. So if you had just moved there January 3rd as not knowing anybody and you just arrive in town, what would you do differently? Because I think the landscape has changed from, you know, obviously oh, you know, since the it, 90s. That's a great question. It's changed. It's entirely different. Right. But, you know, everywhere, you know, every for every generation you hear when I moved here, oh, man, you know, 10 years ago, there were so many more sessions. And, <laughs> right. But the reality is when I moved here 10 years ago, there was like new metal, you know, it was, it was huge. There were tons of bands that were still selling records. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Napster had barely happened and people didn't even know what it was. Like, you know, I didn't own a computer then. Most people right. didn't, you know, a lot, half the world didn't own computers. So there was an entirely different playing field. When you sold records, you made money. People were listening to the radio still. That was the main way to get music. Um, people were touring because um, you couldn't get your music on YouTube and you couldn't get your music. You know, So it was a whole different thing. Yeah, it was a whole different format. It was a whole different world. There was a lot more work. Um, what would I have done differently? You know, uh, it's interesting. I would have done like, you know, I would have probably, you know, knowing now, like watching real estate, I own a couple homes. I'm interested in, in things like that. You know, I would have probably gotten a gig with like the Blue Man Group in Vegas, which I had auditioned for. And they said, dude, we know you. I was teaching the Blue Man Group in Boston, teaching the Blue Man how to drum. Right. And they like almost like a drum line, like a, a dumbed down drum line. And they knew me and I knew those guys because they were all Boston based and they were opening in Vegas. And I thought I wanted to do that knowing I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to do exactly what I've done, you know, but right. I thought it's a chance to make some dough. I had a little money saved from a couple record deals. But, you know, they were like, dude, at the audition, we love you, dude. You do the great gig great, but you, you don't want to do this. You want to move to L.A. and gig. And a lot of guys told me that other people I tried to get jobs with before I first moved out here. So. Uh, you know, I respect that and, and I respect that they said that, but, you know, I would have probably worked with them more, I would have bought a couple of houses right away when right. I moved to LA and watched everything skyrocket. But 
as a businessman, you know, but sure. as a drummer, you know, um, if you landed there now with everything as it is, you have the internet, you have everything, but you're not, I don't know, man. Not, I mean, you're not known in the town. Nobody knows who you are. Oh man, it's tricky. Cause I, I have kids who write me all the time, you know, like you do. And they're always, and you know, if I can help somebody out, I called a few drummers when I first moved here and they were basically like, good luck, dude, click, you know what I mean? Right. You know, you know, whatever. I didn't have anybody who was very helpful when I moved here. So I always try to at least write some dudes and direct them if I can, or, you know, if I can meet somebody for a coffee, I will, you know, if they seem like they're genuine and they can prove that they've actually practiced and shed or gone to school or, you know, had some gigs or have some YouTubes that show that they actually are on it. If I can help somebody out, I will, man, because, you know, we're all in it together. And if I help somebody out, that kid's going to tap into some hole of the world. And who knows where that will lead for me or vice versa. So I think it really does help to be supportive because if they can't do a gig, if a friend of mine gets a gig, I'm happy for him because that's just good for everybody, you know? Right, and, right. and, and if he's a new kid in town, if I can, you know, we can, if that, you know, I think it's, a, I think there's a camaraderie with drummers. So I, I think that's cool. But you know, I will say every year the market changes so much, man. It's amazing. Just like with every step of technology, the business gets, it's a little more daunting and a little gnarlier and uh, it's tricky, man. That's a really hard question right now to answer. You know, what would I tell somebody who moves here right away? <laughs> you know, because Nashville is really sexy right now. People yeah. are moving there in droves and there's so much concentration there. It's so easy to live. And LA is easy to live too. You can get a cheap burrito, you rent, you can still find a, a cheap guest house or a cheap little joint for not too much, you know. Um, I couldn't imagine moving to New York now, or basically, I, I should say, moving to New Jersey because there's no way you're living in even Brooklyn or New York. Dude, it's, um, it's if you're insane. trying to be a drum. Yeah, it's I, insane. I, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But you know, I talked to Carl Ock, who I went to college with, who mm -hmm. I, I, I I'm so proud of and, and love to death. Our rooms were right next to each other in the practice rooms, and we shed all night together. And you know, he couldn't imagine living anywhere else. Although now he's got a pad in Nashville, and. Uh, I actually have a place in Nashville as well. I, I bought eight years ago, kind of seeing the curb coming. Right. And I just, I just rented out, but you know, you never know. But, um, so, you know, it's hard to say, you know, you know, what is in LA? You know, I don't do a lot of session work. I don't do a lot of, uh, I don't even call a lot for jingles. I don't play in town a lot because I have been really busy on the road. Right. And I had lunch with a guy tonight who, who just plays in the big country artist. And he just left the band because he's seeing that this could go on and on and on in a great way. He can make all this money, but he's not going to really have this world in town and be able to do his own thing. And so he's going to pull, pull the reins and left this gig, which most people would kill for because it is a double-edged sword. You know, I'm no, I'm not known in town anymore. I could live anywhere because the work I've been doing, it takes me out of town so much that the sure. phone stops ringing. And some guys are great at being able to kind of, um, straddle that but i think those guys are guys who have one band they play with that one band and it goes big for two years and then they're not off for two years and that's right. a little easier to manage or they play in a band that's like a big artist where they'll go out for two weeks they're home for two weeks mm -hmm. that's different for me the gigs i've been doing are you know a you're year gone. two years whatever. yeah and you're home for a week or two here and you know i, I would get a music a, a bunch of students together and then all of a sudden see ya i'm gone for three months that's gone I would get a cool project together in town. I was doing a, a brush duo with an organ player. Boom, suddenly smash mouth, you know, that just piles on right when I thought I had time. And it's gone. And that happens over and over again. And I thank the drum gods for that opportunity. It's like I'm doing exactly what I came here for. Right. Um, so the path has been pretty straightforward for me. But that said, you know, I don't know how long it'll last. Um, 
I don't know if I put all my eggs in one basket. I've tried not to, you know. I know I could play a lot of styles, but I am a this guy. But I have a lot of guys who are friends of mine who said, I'm going to be a session guy uh, years ago, 12 years ago, 10, right. 11 years. And they decided they're going to really go big on that. Well, you know, I said, I'm going to be a live guy. I'm going to tour because I looked at it like the writing is on the wall with Napster, A. And B, people are, are you're going to be able to, like, get either drum machines or one guy to do all these sessions and the price is going to go down, which it has. Right, you're not going to make right. as much money. Yeah. They're going to be less work. Or, but the, the gigging, they're always going to need touring drummers. And if you have a reputation as a touring drummer, people will always want to pay to go see music because that's one thing you can't really create that experience. So exactly. that was my, my reasoning. When mm -hmm. I go do clinics, I ask drummers. I say, raise your hands. Who wants to be this? Who wants to be that? Ultimately, everyone wants to be a touring drummer. Every hand goes up and you say touring because it's sexy now. And... Everyone, you know, no one says party like a athlete or party like a right. actor. It's party like a rock star. You know, it's like there's a certain vibe that comes with that. And you see the world, you know, there are chicks, there's rock and roll. You're seeing in hotels and limos. And you know what? For the most part, that's pretty much true. You know what I mean? It's still like that, you know? Um, there are less drugs and alcoholism, but still there's tons of that, you know, which is kind of a negative byproduct from the 70s and 80s. But... Um, at the end of the day, and the, some paychecks are less, some paychecks are better. So it's tough to say, you know, I do think there are niches for young drummers. I do think in Nashville there, are, there is more work, maybe, more tours, but less pay. So if you're a young drummer and you move to Nashville, you probably have a better chance of getting your, your, your beak wet sooner, but you'll make less money. You know what I mean? But So I'm not really sure. I have to be honest to answer that. As a new drummer, would I move to L.A.? I'm not even sure. And uh, but I love it here. I love the environment, the rock history, the yeah, me too. Ar architecture. Me too. There's so much about it. The food, the uh, you know, I bought a house here. I have a house, you know, in right. the valley that I could afford. Um, and I wake up and it's sunny in December, and I have the San Fernando Mountains in the view. And you know, all right, I, all right. I, don't I, rub it in, man. I, yeah, it's, dude, it's much, cold and snowing here right now. Pretty much it rules here. You know? <laughs> but uh, the Hotel California, I highly right. recommend. I'll be there. Actually, it's weeks, terrible. Sir. Don't come here. Don't come here. Don't move here. Don't take. <laughs> If you're a drummer, don't move here. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, but, you know, I still think there's tons of work. I am optimistic for young drummers, and I do encourage it. If something that you really, you know, I think Dave Weckl had a great quote where he said, you know, if you can do anything else well, do it, because it'll be much easier to earn a living than this. If it's the only thing you can do, then bring it on. And that, yeah. I agree, because, you know, for me, there's, you know, I like other things. I'd like to do other things. I, I like many other things. I like architecture. I like real estate. I have a real estate license. I never used to say that, but I, I do, and I don't care now because I feel established enough as a drummer. I don't have to worry about people saying, he's a real estate agent. I'm not, but I've sold houses. I learned that, that you know, there's other things. I have hobbies. I do lots of things. I collect art. I, you know, I love furniture and vintage and history and, and you know, clothing and all kinds of history and, and stuff. I'm interested in that. And L.A. is steeped in that. You know, there's a history of all that. So for me, it's a big playground. You know what I mean? So but I do think, you know, um, you know, I do think there's still work for, for people out there. You know, what I mean, you just got to be you got to be all in, you know. Sure. You can't be half pregnant with with that, man. You got to. It's tricky, man. It's tricky. You know, it really is tricky. So what so. do you think is what's the plan for the future? Do you, you know, or is it, is it always going to be touring or is my it goal has just been sleep my way to the top dude. And I'm not going to, so far it's working. Right. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Dude. I'm kidding. Um, no, for the future, I honestly, um, you know, I, 
I, I feel like, you know, I want to rock and it's still coming down. You know, I still think the, there's tons of work. Um, you know, I'm enjoying playing with Smash Mouth again. I'm enjoying being able to do clinics. I'm enjoying really kind of, you know, I'm doing a, a, a clinic at the University of Syracuse. And it's like a three-day clinic where I'm coming in and I'm trying to do more of that where I not only do a drum clinic for the percussion department and the local drum community at the university, but I also do a lecture for the music business and, and you know, production and, uh, or business and, and, you know, their business school, you know, mm -hmm. about music. And I think that's great because I can talk to a clarinetist about what I've done and I can sure. talk to what I can do, what I can talk about with my experience of being on the road and all this different from managers and getting, you know, promoting yourself and a million things can now apply to all these people, you know, not just drummers. And I'm also doing a lecture for a music history class where they're going to talk, tie in all the rock bands I've played with and how historically those bands have affected, you know, the history of rock and roll. And that's kind of a cool nice. thing. So it's fun to be able to kind of start bringing these things back, you know, from going mm -hmm. to PASIC, Percussive Art Society, which I'm very involved in. And I, I used to be really involved in college, and I'm trying to be more involved in that, in academia. And I just got told that I'm going to be doing a clinic at LA Music Academy. And I have a clinic. I, I think we're scheduling something for Musicians Institute um, this semester. And so it's great to be able to get into this academic world a little bit because I came from that. Right. I got away from it, and now I'm bring, able to kind of bring some of that back. And that's, that's, that's interesting to me. It's exciting to be able to do that. And so that's fun, and I'm keeping that in mind and trying to kind of tie this whole thing in. Uh, I produced this single recently. I had a great time with it. It turned out really great. That would be fun to produce some music, you know, mm -hmm. which is not something I ever tried to do before. It kind of happened by default, and, and uh, it turned out I was not bad at it, you know. Right. Um, so it'd be fun to kind of try, try to tie in some of that in a more, you know, production way. Um, and then, you know, who knows what's next, man? Who knows what gig could, could be next, could be out there, what other yeah. kind of thing. I would love to do something entirely different. You know, I'd love to do something entirely different. But like I said, it's, it's great to be able to get called by a band like Smash Mouth or, you know, be able to get called by bands I've played with in the past after six or seven, eight years hiatus, be able to come back and be like, you know, Hanging with, you know, with a with, with somebody, and, yeah. yeah, with your friends and with this kind of wealth of knowledge I've learned from all mm -hmm. these other gigs. So I'm at a point now where playing is the easy part, and that's fun. So right. I'm, like, welcoming whatever it may be. I'd love to, like I said, work on the jazz thing and really get that happening just for my own soul, you know, and, mm -hmm. and be able to do that and be able to kind of apply some of this stuff, you know, kind of reaching out. You know, I feel like I've established myself to an extent in my resume, and now it's like, you know, it's fun to be able to put like that Beals above clip up, you know, of like fusion stuff mm -hmm. because it's like, yeah, I do this too. And it's fun to be able to put those. So I want to do more of that and have a presence and try to get more of that. Maybe some online teaching or get something happening where I can kind of have a class, have a, you know, I've been asked by a million people to do that. I've been asked to do a DVD and, you know, I don't know if that's really relative anymore with all the YouTube and stuff, but something like that might be fun to put this all down on one place, you know, yeah, for a yeah, video yeah, absolutely. school. So I'm getting pressure to do that. I'm going to, I just leaving that to the gods, you know right. what I mean? I'm just letting it kind of happen. Um, you know, it's kind of, how does that happen? But, you know, in the future, maybe, you know, I always joke it would be great to be a, you know, I work, I do, you know, I'm on staff at Musicians Institute, even though I'm, I'm rarely able to do anything there, but it's cool to be associated with such a great school and program. And, you know, it would be great to be able to, you know, someday maybe be at like a big university when I'm older and be able to take all this, because I have a master's degree in, you know, music performance. I have an undergrad in, in education, but I thought, you know, really when it comes down to all these other gigs is like my doctorate, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, in rock and roll. And I'd like to be able to bring that in when I think I'm ready at an age, you know, it'd be great to be able to kind of apply that to, you know, put that, hang that at a, at a, pre, at a big university maybe someday. Sure. I, I'm not really sure. 
not really sure. I'm just kind of rolling with it, you know? I like so. it. I like it, yeah. man. You know, and, and speaking of rolling with it, the music business is a, it's a roller coaster up and down. And I know that you've had a ton of success and let's talk about the other side of the coin though. Have you had like some, some just some devastating failures or anything that, and how you well, recovered from them? Well, there's a lot of things, you know, it's a tough business. You know, it's funny. I, I had lunch with, um, you know, uh, two different guys. They had lunch and had a coffee with two different guys who I played with in different things. And, and I'm not going to name names, but one of them was a bass player from a gig I did. And we were talking about, you know, how difficult the singer could be. And this guy was talking about how the artist, this country artist he played with, was just a nightmare. And it was basically cookie cutter, like, you know, to the point where, like, if you did an article and you mentioned the band's name, the singer would get upset because you're using his name as, you know, and it's like, really, dude? Like, right. you know, like... I'm playing in your gig. Why do you care if I use your band? I'm not piggybacking on you. I've played tons of bands before you. It's just I happen to be playing in your gig, yet these dudes are so maniacal and almost envious or I don't know what, self-centered that they can't even imagine that that you know instantly you're trying to use their name. And he was telling me the same thing. And I think like, God, it's, a, it's, it's tricky, man. So there's a lot of heartbreak in this business where, you know, you're playing in a band and you're trying to, you know, do your best. And the artist ultimately is going to be a nightmare, you know, mm -hmm. whether it be substance abuse or they're just wired wrong because a lot of great singers are wired wrong and they're either, you know, alcoholics or drug addicts. And I'm not saying that about everybody, but, you know, I was talking to like a student of mine who's, you know, a little younger and he's got like, he's playing in like three bands and one of them has a potential to kind of do some stuff. And he said, all the singers in my band are assholes. They're just so not cool. They vibe the shit out of me. They vibe the whole band. What do I do? And it's like, dude, that's 95% of the gig is being able to navigate these people. And I'm not talking shit because I'm not alone. I could talk to 10 other guys in 10 other bands. And that's a lot of what you have to deal with is being trying to you know, uh, navigate these personalities yeah. that are singers. That said, you know, a singer without an ego and without an attitude is, is, is not nearly as compelling in a lot of cases. You know, they have to deal with a lot. You know, I, I appreciate that. As a drummer, you need to be their ally. You're the, you're the guy who's, who's, you know, on stage supporting them. And that's why I think if you get in with a drummer and you have that feel that feels good to them, it's gold. But back to your question, it's a brutal business, man. It is brutal. And um, a lot of times you're undervalued, you're underappreciated, you're undercut. Just, you know, they, you know, the rug will be pulled out from under you before you know it. Mm -hmm. And I've replaced a lot of drummers and I've been replaced. And that happens or a near miss. You, you know, the, you know, you don't get the call or you get the call and you, you, you know, the million things could happen. I mean, you know, so uh, how many, I could go on and on. I've talked about these stories, but you know, um, I could give you examples, you know, Foreigner, I'm playing with Foreigner, it's awesome, it's killer, I'm digging the gig, it's great, and then all of a sudden, we're about to go to this giant tour, Mick Jones decides that he wants to bring his drummer that he really loved, who's suddenly available back from years before, you know, Mark Schulman, who I love, you know, that was a devastating blow, I was just getting comfortable in that band, you know, I was playing the shit out of it, right. and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, by the way, he feels comfortable with this cat, he's been waiting for him, he's been trying to get him in the band, he's available, He's going to do this run. Boo-hoo, you know, bums me out. But at the same time, it's also, it's, 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 you just got to roll with the punches. You know, I never, I was happy for Mark. I was happy for them. I had a great run with them. I played with them for a year. I'm on these records. You can hear them. I'm very happy with that. There was no bad blood. And at the end of the day, next thing you know, I'm playing with the coolest band I ever got to play with, which I wouldn't have been able to do. And then from there, I went on to go play with Marilyn Manson. That rounded out my entire resume. Right. Had I just been staying with Foreigner, which I would have easily could have done, 
that would have been just a small, it's just a, you know, that would have been, I wouldn't have been satisfied. Now mm-hmm. the sky's the limit because I, I feel like I, from doing the dolls to Manson, I really feel like that helped round out my, my resume and my soul. Right. You know, right. my thirst has been quenched as a higher sure. shot. Anything else is gravy from here right. on out. <laughs> had I been doing that gig, had that not happened, I should thank Mick Jones. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it worked out great. When I see Mick, I go to the shows and we hang out backstage. It's a love fest. Right. It, it's not personal. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you got to get used to that. You got to get thick skin. Mm-hmm. You know, Manson was a fucking nightmare. You know what I mean? And right. I can say that now. I don't fucking care. I can say it. You know, he was a horror show. He's, he's, he, people are like, is he a nice guy? Is he not like that? Bad? No, no he was gnarly, dude. I love the dude, you know? And I think he would crack up hearing that, you know, because I think he knows it. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a tough, tough nut, man. You know, he's hardcore. He's the real deal. This right. is like, you know, he doesn't go home and take the face off, you know? <laughs> and on stage, it's like war, you know? It was like war. Uh-huh. And, and I relished it. And at the end of the tour, there were smiles. We made it through two years almost. It's like no one could believe it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the band, we all smiled. It was a love fest. I saw him backstage at the Smashing Pumpkins a week ago. I hadn't seen him since. It was, a lo- it was just great to see him. It was, it was a great little connection. And I love the dude, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I learned a lot from him, and I'm so thankful to get to do that gig for, for you know, and, that, and, and maybe I'll do it again someday, and maybe I won't. But at the end of the day, it was all a positive, you know what I mean? Right. I had to grow through that and go through it, and, and I'll probably never play with anything like that again. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but you know what? It just makes you stronger, makes you a better player. And like I said, that's part of the course. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be a dude like that. There's always going to be somebody that isn't going to dig your shit, or eventually they're not going to dig your shit. There's going to be somebody who's offended by something, or you know, uh, you're going to be offended by somebody on a tour. But you know, you just you live in these little microcosms. It's yeah, like being man. married married to five people. So. It's, it can be brutal, it can be heartbreaking, you know, it can be uh, devastating. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a, you know, the playing, like I said, is the easy part. The rest, yeah. a lot of guys can't hang with that shit. And I don't think, I mean, in all honesty, I can't, I think, I, I could think of maybe 95% of my buddies I don't think would be able to hang with what, what I went through with Manson. And, and I'm thankful for it. And I'm glad well, Just I because did. he was hard to work for? You bet your ass. Yeah. That's your ass, man. And I'm not going to get into it because whatever, you know, but uh, it was it was an amazing experience at the end of the day. I'm so thankful I got to do it. And uh, and it but it was gnarly. It was tough, man. It was hardcore. You know, it was real deal rock and roll shit, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, we were in the trenches, you know, it was it was like war and, and in a good way. You know, I, I felt like, you know, I learned a lot from it. It was exciting, you know. Right. Um, but it was gnarly, you know, and, and that's what a lot of it is. I don't know about specifics. I've talked about other specifics, but, you know, there's like a million things. Like, you know, Lifehouse called me and, you know, I didn't, uh, somebody recommended me to Barry Squire. I didn't even know who he was yet. And he got my number, called me on uh, my answering machine. Um, he, the number cut off of who to call, you know. I didn't know it was Barry Squire. I knew it was a band called Lifehouse. I didn't know anything else. Call me, I'll get you the music. It's a band called Lifehouse that auditions Thursday. I don't know where, I don't know who the number is, and I don't know who the hell Barry Square is because no one has told me that they've recommended me to him. So I just, oh well, turns out that they have the number one single of 2000. Right. I could have moved here and walked into that band. Um, numerous things. You know, the Michelle Branch, she exploded. I wasn't going to do the gig anyway. Right. Um, and so I would have felt like a real moron had I turned that gig down, you know? Um, uh, but she exploded, you know what I mean? Uh, there's a ton of gigs like that. Morrissey, I auditioned for Morrissey, love Morrissey. Um, and uh, auditioned for him. Of course, I had scruffy hair, which I knew was not going to help, but 
went in, they had a camera set up, we ran through three tunes, I got called like two days before. It was like you could cut the excitement with a knife. We played it through, it was incredible. And afterwards, it, the, you know, the music director was like, great, that was amazing, everybody was so high and into it. And he was like, all right, great, now I'm gonna do it again, we'll tape it. And everybody looked at him like, you didn't tape that? And of course <laughs> we played it through and it was just like nowhere near as interesting, everyone was deflated. Right. You know, it's like, you know, yeah, it's just incredible. So there's a lot of little things like that that can happen. You know, right. there are a million things against you. And, you know, and again, I, I like I say, the drum gods are either going to be on your side or they're not. And there's only so much you can do. You know, you can have your hang together. You can get along with people. You can um, know when to shut up and when to speak up. You can know when to uh, you know, playing is, is a given. The playing just better be ice cold. The rest of the shit you don't have control over, you know? And, and like I said, you can be the coolest guy, the best hang. Uh, maybe the dude just can't get over your shoes. And, and that's going to manifest itself because he's a nut job. And you're out, you know what I mean? Or you don't get that gig. And you, you just don't know, man. You know, you don't know. You're, you wear the wrong color shirt at the audition. I can't say, you know what I mean? Right. Right. Or it could be the opposite. You know, I wore Con Black Converse and went to the Smash Mouth gig. Or Manson, you know, I wore a V-neck. I'm like, what the hell do I wear to Marilyn Manson audition? I wore a V-neck, a black V-neck, and boots. And I went in and he was like, look, he's got a V-neck on. Everybody in the band had a V-neck. Who would have thought a V-neck would be like, <laughs> the cool. Thing. You know? When I went in to play with him, I had done this that rudimental thing, Hands of Doom. I just threw that up. It was up on YouTube. It got a bunch of hits. He wanted to see who I was, so he clipped on a few things. Um, someone was showing him, and one of the things he saw was this rudimental snare soul, and he loved it, right? That broke the ice. When he walked in, he went, dude, like Matt, Mr. Magic Hands, or made some comment, like, dude, I loved it. Super great. Who would, I, in a million years, I wouldn't have thought that the icebreaker would be a rudimental snare room solo on YouTube that he would see. Right, right, right. It's you know? amazing. Yeah, because you get five minutes to connect with these people, mm -hmm. and that's it. And then they're going to sit and hear you play, and maybe they'll talk to you, and maybe they won't. And that's what you get, you know, and it's like, you know, you got to be able to navigate that hang. The freeze you know? out, man. The freeze out when you come into the audition. too. <laughs> yeah, you got to be able to you got to be able to direct how that goes. So, you know, uh, it's a tricky world, man. You know, there's a whole other thing and I can't tell you what to do or how to make it happen. And I probably lost gigs um, or auditions because of something this or that that I never knew. You know? Right. But at the end of the day, like I said, you know, when I ask all these guys, why did I get the gig? The feel. It felt right. It felt yeah. right. And that's another thing I talk about in clinics because I don't think a lot of people talk about feel. And I don't mean the feel of – it's a Latin feel or a jazz feel. I mean the feel of how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. Your backbeat, how it related to the music, and then how it related to their soul or their heart or their – their mind or their, you know, the, just the overall picture. And it's being able to read that. Do I push? Do I pull? You know, uh, do I play harder in this part? Do I back off? That's feel. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a magical thing that the best guys who play with the best feel can't describe, you know? Right. So I'm trying to harness that and be able to bring, you know, explain that a little bit, you know, if I can, because I think that's a big part of it. But I don't know. Has that been enough like storm and stress of, the life of a musician, if that's what you're asking for. Yeah. <laughs> I like it, man. It's, it's no, gnarly, you, dude. It's you know, it's funny because like, you know, I tell people all the time that it's like, there's no difference between, you know, being a musician and, and running some company, you know, it's like, you're going to have ups and downs. It's like the entrepreneurial journey, but it, you know, it's, you're an entrepreneur. Well, you're, you're, you're your own boss. You know, you know, you navigate all that shit. I know very few guys, people are always like, so you have an agent? It's like, no, I don't have a fucking agent. I would love to have an agent. Anybody want to represent me out there? Call me. You know, <laughs> my website, jasonsutter.com. Seriously, I mean, an agent would be great. You don't have that as a drummer. 
You know, it's all word of mouth. It's your vibe. It's your hang. Um, maybe you play at a jam session and somebody heard you and went, whoa, that dude's got it. Who's he? Um, you just don't know, man. You know, it's Definitely funny. The, you know, the more you're out there, the more you play, the better. You know, the more you're, you know, you're only as good as your last YouTube, I tell some people. You know, if you don't have a, somebody sees you and they go, hey, who are you? They could click on you and there's nothing to be found. If you don't have a website, you're a moron. If you don't have a YouTube page with current great stuff on it, build one, make right. it happen. It's very important to do that. You know, a lot of guys, if you're missing that, you're missing out on all the, the advantages. We have mm -hmm. a lot of disadvantages with the music industry now, but you have a lot of advantages as well as the, with social media. You know? It's funny that you said that because right before we did this interview, I, I do a free webinar once a week to teach musicians how to market themselves online. So I do go through like Facebook or all social media websites and, uh, and email marketing and stuff like that. So that's what I was finishing up when, when I told you I would. I'd like to pick your brain on that because as I'm going out and doing more of these lectures, I'd like to get your perspective on that. You know, we I mean, I'm, I'm always learning on, on, the, on that front. You know, how do you, because it's not just, I know the information in my experience, but how do you present it? So that's interesting. Right, right. Well, we'll talk off, we'll talk off, uh, off air. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'd love to pick your brain on that. But so, yeah, it's a crazy journey, man. You know, it's like, like, yeah, if you, you know, am I, have I, have I got to do everything I want to do? Yes. Like mm -hmm. twice over, you know, um, do I practice every day? Yeah, I do. I'm kind of nuts. You know, it's like the day after you know, New Year's day, I'm like going into my practice room cause I'm doing this Bonzo bash in LA and I got to start learning this bottom tune for this Bonzo bash. And, and it's like, what's wrong with me, man? You know, and I know I'm going to be 68 years old and I'm going to be going into the practice room on New Year's day or the Christmas day and go in and play for an hour. And it's like, I just, you know, I'm wired that way. I don't know. You know, so you know, I'm always trying to grow. I'm trying to push myself more now. And I feel like I have that ability because I have that, my, that quench, my thirst has been quenched of this, this goal has been met. And so now it's like, okay, you know, what's next, you know, what can I do? And so it's easier to kind of like breathe that, that sigh of relief and go, okay, the sky's the limit at this right. point. You know? right. Absolutely. Well, look, man, I'm not going to take up any more of your time. I really... Yeah, because I am busy, dude. I'm like getting calls for obsessions. I've got like so much shit. Is your agent's know. yelling at you to... And my agent is, dude, like, dude, Sutter, I got all this stuff. Actually, I'm going to see Toss Panos tonight. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, he's an amazing drummer. If you haven't done this with him, you should do it. But one of the best drummers in LA and uh, just, just magical player. So I'm going to see him with Kevin Stevens and uh, a million other drummers are going nice. out. Where uh, he's playing at the Baked Potato with Dave Palmer, who I used to play with in college. Awesome. Who, you know, when Matt Chamberlain got the gig with Pearl Jam, mm -hmm. um, the little known band Pearl Jam, I did the jam session <laughs> with Dave Palmer. <laughs> and Dave Palmer was like, what are you doing, man, for the next year? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. And he was the top call player. And next thing you know, I'm you know, playing Matt Chamberlain's seven for Matt Chamberlain in North Texas when I'm 20, 21, and, you, know, you know, early 90s while he's slumming it with some baby band, Pearl Jam, <laughs> where he had to blow up. And so we're full circle. And here's now Dave Palmer who lives in L.A. and works like crazy. He's going to be playing with Toss. So it's nice. just one big crazy circle. When know? I stay in L.A., I stay be right behind. Baked, like if you walk out of the baked potato, there's a parking lot right there Yeah, in those apartments. Oh, cool. Yeah. So cool. It's, a, yeah. It's, it's very convenient. That's awesome. I, I, I love it. Well, that's the valley. That's where I live. I live right down the street from there. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's my turf too. Love awesome. it. Cool, man. Well, yeah. Like I said, thank you for doing this, man. I, I know you're busy and I know you get asked to do a lot of things and I appreciate you spending some time. I know the listeners appreciate it and there's a, a wealth of information. I appreciate you being, you know, real and honest and, and willing to, uh, 
you know, expose the, the good and the bad of the businessman because I think that that's important for a lot of people to hear. Yeah, I think these are great things because they really are truthful. The first one I did, I thought, oh, my God, I'm never going to work again, you know. And then it's like, you know, I'm not really worried about any of that anymore. I think it's great to – I always hate when you listen to one of these and I know the guy and he isn't telling you I know the story and he's not giving you the whole thing. Right. It's like, come on, dude. You know, at this point, it's really – it's helpful to hear about the shit. You know, you got to spread that. And it's also helpful to hear about the good stuff too. Right. So anyway, thank, <laughs> I, you for ha- thank you for having me. I, you know, it's, it's, it's awesome. I hope somebody gets something out of this. And and like I said, I'm at jasonsutter.com if you want to check out what I'm up to or, you know, send me a line, whatever. And uh, I'll maybe see you when you're in L.A., man. Nice. Yeah, I'll be out there in, uh, in two weeks. I'll, have to, Great. I'll shoot you a text. And also, there's a show notes page for, for the podcast so everybody can check out all the information that we talked about. Find your website, your Facebook, Twitter, and all that stuff. Um, so I'll, I'll make sure that people check that out as well. Awesome. Thanks cool, for man. listening. Killer. And uh, Awesome. Like I said, thanks again. And uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Awesome. Cool, man. There you have it, Jason Sutter. Be sure to check out Jason at jasonsutter.com. And if you want to learn how to market yourself online like a professional to get yourself more followers, more exposure, and more gigs, I teach a free webinar every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I show you all of that stuff for free. And if you want to learn more about it, go to drummersresource.com forward slash register, and you'll be able to sign up for the webinar and also learn a little bit more about what it's about. But that is the Marketing for the Modern Musician webinar, online marketing for musicians to learn how to market yourself like a pro. And it's 100% free, so check that out at drummersresource.com forward slash register. Check out drummersresource.com or facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. I'm on Instagram at drummersresource, and I have this breakfast club session every every weekday that I practice with uh, Matt Teitelman and Dylan Wissing, who is a multi-Grammy award-winning drummer, and we practice every day of the week, so we're going to be putting 15-second clips up there on Instagram, so you may want to check that out, Instagram at drummersresource. I'm also on Twitter at drummersrsource, and let me let me get some feedback from you guys. Uh, I want to I hear feedback, so on the show notes page, you can leave your comments. Or, you know, shoot me a message on Facebook or on Twitter or, you know, like I said, on the site or shoot me an email. I love hearing feedback from you guys. I want to know what you guys like, what you don't like, things that things that, uh, you know, you would like to see on the site. So I'm open to any and all feedback. So let me hear it. And, you know, if if there's something I can do to make the podcast better, let me know. And one last thing, if you would, please head over to iTunes and leave a review for the podcast. It really helps with how many reviews you have gets, you know, more, more visibility on iTunes, on iTunes. Sorry. Um, so if you could leave a honest review on, on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll be reporting from Nam uh, next week. Uh, or the week after I'm leaving this Wednesday and heading out on the road and then I'll be at NAM, So I'll be reporting from there as well. So I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, that's about it. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.